Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Again, good morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for leading us in a time of worship. We are continuing on in our Daniel series, and we are now in chapter 7. Try to get there. So in this series, uh, you know, the book of Daniel... The first six chapters are narrative, right? There's these stories that are given to us, mostly by Daniel. Actually, one is a testimony by a king. And now we're transitioning. This is a really important point in this series because now we're transitioning from narrative to prophetic word or a vision. Uh, Another way of saying it, the big term is apocalyptic literature, So you're like, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. When it comes to, you know, there's various kinds of literature that we can read. There's wisdom literature and poetry. There's outlines and epistles, which is more like instructions. Uh, There's stories. There's history. And when you read those things, you have to try to understand them or interpret them in the form that they are written which means it may look a little bit different. So the illustration that I like to give is fruit. I think some of you may have heard this before. How do you eat an apple? You know, you can just grab it and just take a bite out of the apple. You can't do that with a banana, can you? It wouldn't be very fun, at least. You got to peel the banana. So there's different ways of getting to the fruit, and this is exactly the same thing when it comes to the various kinds of literature that we find in Scripture. And so as we go through this next section, chapters 7 through 12, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, we're not used to this kind of literature. Uh, but there's a few things that I want to point out as we go through this, especially when it comes to uh, in here in Daniel, because this literature, these visions have been studied uh, for a very long time, and we have theologians and scholars that have written books just on these chapters and what they mean. And we can easily just jump into the weeds and try to figure out what it all means. But we don't really have time for that this morning. We would be here all day. Here's the wonderful thing about this literature, is that, there, yes, there are some things that are unclear, and we want to get those questions answered. I love puzzles, I love mysteries, I love diving into them and and trying to figure out what it means and and make some uh, theories about what what it all means. But there's other things in this literature that are very clear. When you step back and when you look at it as a whole, it is very clear. 
And I think that's really important for us because what is clear, I think, is what is instructional for us, what will encourage us, what will give us a greater faith in the Lord, and what will give us hope. Friends, we need hope, don't we? And I think Daniel 7 can give us hope. So before we begin, uh, let me give you some context of chapter 7, because uh, chapters 1 through 12, the whole book of Daniel is not necessarily in chronological order, right? I mean, it, the narratives come in some order, and there's probably quite a bit of gaps between these uh, distinct stories of chapters 1 through 6. But now when we get into chapter 7, when he gives this vision, or when God gives this vision to Daniel, it's, it's not after all the, these other things that have taken place. It doesn't come after chapter 6. It actually comes during the time of Belshazzar, the king before Darius, right? At the beginning of his reign. So here's one question. We're not going to answer it. We'll, we'll hopefully answer it throughout the sermon. But the question that I have, why does, get, why does God give Daniel this vision at this moment in his life? Why? Why this vision to Daniel at this moment in his life? So if you look at Daniel and his life, and this is kind of a review here. Uh, there are many things that take place in Daniel's life. He's exiled, right? He's a young man. He gets trained up in the courts of Babylon and uh, to do the work of the king. And through this time, Daniel is determined not to defile himself, but to remain faithful to the Lord, right? And throughout his life, we see through these narratives that there are some times when there's a conflict, there's an issue, there's a trial, and Daniel has to figure out what he's going to do. So one of them at the beginning is, is he going to eat from the king's table or not and defile himself? And he has to take a step of faith, an action. Is he going to just comply or is he going to try to remain faithful to the king or, or to, to the God, his one true king? And what does he do in that action? What What's the action step in faith? It's to go to the chief that's over him and basically make a deal. Hey, listen, I think it, give me vegetables for 10 days. And if I am healthier, right, you, you think this is a bad idea because I won't be as healthy as the others. Let's compare. Let's make a test. Let's make a deal. If I'm healthier, let's stay on the diet. And God is faithful and blesses Daniel through this. And he's able to, you know, avoid being defiled through what he was eating and remain faithful to the Lord. His step was approaching this overseer and making this deal. What does he do with King Nebuchadnezzar? What's his step? When Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and this vision, and he brings the the uh, the magicians and the astrologers and uh, all these wise men and say, hey, listen, I want you to tell me the dream and interpret it for me. And they're like, that's impossible. We can't, we don't know what the dream is. You have to tell us the dream. And he says, no, no, no. You tell me the dream. You interpret it. If you don't, you're all dead and including your family. That includes Daniel and his friends. What is Daniel's step? His, his life is now threatened. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just hanging out. His life is threatened. What is his step? 
His stop is to go before the king and ask for time. That's it. Ask for time. He is not going behind the scenes and trying to raise up an army or raise up these wise scholars and that maybe we can fight back. He's not giving reasons or trying to uh, argue his way out of this. No, no, no. He takes the step of going to the king and asking for time so that he can, he can uh, uh, go before the Lord, right? Lord, would you give me, would you reveal this mystery to me? God is faithful and he does it. Another time when the king comes before him and he gives Daniel this dream, he says, I have this vision and he shares the vision to Daniel. Can you tell me what it means? Daniel shares with him the vision, but also not only does he give the vision, but Daniel makes the step of giving some wise counsel to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He speaks the truth to the king. You need to repent. How you are acting and how you are governing this kingdom, you need to change your ways. You need to stop oppressing your people. You need to humble yourself before the Lord. Daniel's steps of faith throughout so far is very interesting to see. It's these simple acts of approaching the king and engaging him in various ways that is actually quite honorable. So that's where this comes from. We go through the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now after this reign is Belshazzar, and that's when he gets this vision. And again, a question is why? And I think, the re- I think it's because God is wanting to prepare him. God gives them this vision to prepare Daniel for what is to come in his own lifetime. But not only that, because remember, Daniel just doesn't uh, keep this to himself. He actually records this. He wants to give this to an audience. Who's the audience? Well, at that time, it would be the rest of Israel. It would be the exiles. He has a, a reason to put this in writing because he wants to prepare Israel as well. And guess what? God has given us this passage today. We we have it right now for us. It is the word of God. And so God has a word for us today in this passage, in this chapter, right? So he's preparing Daniel. He's preparing Israel. I think he's preparing us. He's preparing us. What is that word? And so, let's read this passage together. And before I do, so we talked about this preparing. Let me actually, in some sense, answer this. Because this is the big idea. It's the big idea of the whole book of Daniel. So I might as well just lay it out for you. We already know this, but we're going to just keep hammering this home. Because this is what not only the whole book of Daniel is about, but this passage is screaming this statement this message, and that's this. As kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king who rules over all. That's what we've been seeing in this narrative. As Daniel, his life, he's going through all these kings and kingdoms, 
and he's remaining faithful. So that's the call. This is the message that appears over and over again. So with that, let's read Daniel chapter 7. I'll read it. And if you guys can follow along. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of that sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on it, on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns, and I considered those horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Wow, somebody has a great imagination. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire, and the stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And thousands, thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the book the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Wasn't good enough for Daniel, was it? Wait a minute. 
Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before the other three, and the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until, that's a wonderful word there, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. The time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So he explains this. This is the response. Thus he said, this is what this means. As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. But the court, but the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is a lot here. It is a mouthful. Uh, there's things here that are, uh, that are confusing, that are unclear, but Lord, there is also some amazing things here that you make very clear Lord, would you reveal those things to us? May we, may we hide them in our hearts to understand them in such a way that it'll bring us to a greater strength, maturity of faith and hope in you. This is our prayer this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there is a lot to go through. Uh, notice that this starts out with Daniel uh, giving us some context of when this takes place, when he receives this vision, it's during the years of Belshazzar. So this is before, remember this, this is before Daniel has to face the lion's den. I think that's very interesting. So verse 2, he says, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. Okay? So this picture that we're seeing here, okay, these are all uh, various symbols, and we kind of have to figure out what these symbols mean. And here's the thing. The, the, these beasts later are going to um, be interpreted as four kingdoms. And so the very natural question after that is, ooh, what are these four kingdoms? Right? And so we can talk about that and, and have these ideas. It's kingdoms like, um, well, of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. And we can list out all these possible kingdoms they are. 
But I think what we need to do is take a step back first and look at what these beasts are actually symbolizing first. So let's kind of go through some of these. So it's this picture, of course, of these, these winds coming from heaven. But where are these winds? They're at the sea, and it's stirring up the sea. And especially in the Middle East, but we can even think of it today, you know, the sea is a dangerous place where uh, turmoil and chaos comes, right? And so it's out of this chaos, out of this turmoil, that these beasts rise. And so these beasts are beasts of chaos and turmoil and tyranny. And you can think of it in this way, that it is directly opposed to the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God who created, right? Because he created with order, he is a God of peace. So these beasts are directly opposed to God and his ways. And so it could be this picture of good versus evil or order versus chaos. But it's the sense that these beasts are coming out and they're creating all kinds of trouble upon the created world that God has made. They're rebelling against God and his ways. And all types of chaos and destruction. So for example, let's look at this first beast, the beast that is a lion. This lion has wings. This is uh, Daniel 7 verses 4 through 6. The first one was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and then given a mind of a man was given to it. Well, what is going on there? Well, remember, this is a beast. It's chaos, right? That's what it's representing and tyranny. And all of a sudden, this beast uh, is, is made into a human. He is humanized, domesticated, perhaps civilized. What was once tyranny was now at peace or civilized or calmed. Does that remind you of anyone? Think of it this way, with this beast with its wings, right? And the wings like his glory that lifts him up over all others, that gives him power and reign and glory, it gets plucked off. What has made him prideful, what gives him pride has been taken from him, kind of moving in a direction. Have we heard this similar story before in Daniel? Absolutely. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, this tyrant that basically says, if you don't give me the dream that I was, if you don't tell me what it is, you will die and your family will die. That's a beast. <laughs> That's tyranny. That's evil. That's oppressive. Later, Daniel tells Belshazzar about King Nebuchadnezzar, listen, he, he was able to speak, if, you if he wanted you to die, you died. If he spoke that you live, you lived. He had that kind of power. And at one point, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that basically he's going to be humbled, right? This tree and it's going to get chopped down and, and Daniel expresses, he says, listen, this is what's going to happen you're going to be humbled. And my suggestion to you is to repent, 
change your ways. The way that you rule, the way that you govern, the way that you're oppressing your people and hurting them and devouring them, you need to change and repent. We talked about that. And does he do it? Well, not at the time, right? He's up on the roof. He's looking over Babylon. And he says, look at the great uh, power and authority that I have. Look what I have built. His wings are spread. He's up over Babylon. His pride was there for all to see. And God says, that's enough. You will now be humbled. And how does God humble Nebuchadnezzar? He humbles him by turning him into a beast. To go out, to go insane, start eating grass like a beast. Do you think God has a sense of humor? What is this symbol of a beast? In order to tame that beast, he turns him into a literal beast. In the mind of a beast. Later, God gives him his reason back. And, and when his reasons come back, what happens to Nebuchadnezzar? He is humanized. From where his lofty aspirations and his, and his power and his glory, he comes down to the ground, Right? He is leveled, and he is not the one that's raised up now. He is humbled as a man, a mere man, and he gives God all the glory, dominion, power. He says, this is the God who reigns. His kingdom reigns forever. What, became the, what was the beast became a mere man. So this lion this, that has these wings and is being domesticated into a human, this is, it's, it's a symbol of, um, of this, you know, it's a picture of Nebuchadnezzar, but I, I don't want to just point it there, that this is all that means, because I think this symbol is representing something greater. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar's reign is like that, right? It's an example of it. Friends, God can do this to any kingdom, and throughout history, he has done that to kings and dictators and overlords, where he has come and he has humbled them and domesticated them. Amen? Praise God that he does that. That is a blessing, that is a mercy, that is a grace. And we don't only see it with Nebuchadnezzar, we see that throughout history. We see it throughout history. Number two, the, the bear, right? So we're like, who is this bear? What kingdom is that? And again, that's a good question to ask, but what does, how is it described in this vision? What are the details that it gives? It's that this bear, let's get there. Verse five, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on its side and there three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told to what? Arise, devour much flesh. So a bear, a bear is strong, right? You don't want to rustle a bear, okay? It is strong it is powerful, and this specific bear is doing what? It is devouring flesh. These are kingdoms, nations, kings that come in, kill, and destroy. And again, we see this from time and time again. We can point out particular kingdoms and saying, hey, this is a vision of this kingdom or this kingdom. But you know what? We see these kingdoms all the time, do we not? Throughout history, 
these nations rise and fall, dictatorships rise and overpower their people and kill. We know of genocide throughout history, wars, thousands and thousands of people, World War I, World War II. We see this all the time throughout history. And then we have the other beast, right? This leopard. And a leopard is this picture of speed. And it's got four wings. So it is fast. It can move. It's got four uh, heads. So it can look in any direction. And this, so this is a picture of one kingdom that would come in fast and furious and take over and dominate, right? This is what it says. Uh, Behold, another like a leopard, four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and what? Dominion was given to it. Dominion, oppression and power and control. Again, we see that throughout history. We see that today. So, yes, we can point to particular kingdoms and say, hey, this is what he's pointing to here for Daniel and, and these. But also, these are uh, this is symbolic of the kinds of kingdoms that we encounter in our world today. Here's the point, friends. We live in a world with beasts. That's the point. That's the overarching picture. That's the overarching vision that God has given to Daniel here. You, Daniel, are living among beasts and he's experiencing it as these kingdoms in his lifetime are rising and falling, rising and falling. Some of these kings are good, and some of these kings are evil. Some kings are humbled, and some of them are in judgment. We see that through the life of, of Daniel. We see it through history, and we see it today. We are seeing it and living it, experiencing it today. From the time when sin and death entered the world, we had lived in a world with beasts. Kings have risen, dictators have devoured, tyrants have dominated throughout all of history, and it continues on today. It will always be this way until the end of the age. So I want to give this quote. This is from a commentator uh, named Ian Duggan. He says, it is striking that the superpowers of our own age still customarily represent themselves by predatory animals, such as the Russian bear, the Chinese dragon, and the American eagle. The beasts of the present world order may change their shape as the centuries pass, but their violence, lust for power, continues. We are living among beasts. Let's move to the last beast because this one, and I think this is kind of humorous, right? Uh, Daniel sees this vision. He's kind of confused. And in this vision, there's other people or angels. There's others present that are witnessing this vision. And I think it's kind of comedic where Daniel's kind of looking, confused, and he sees someone and he kind of approaches up to him and kind of nudges him. Um, <clears throat> Can you tell me what's going on here? Can you, can you unpack this for me? I need a little bit more clarity because this is very disturbing, right? That's what the text says. He was anxious. He was, uh, this was an upsetting vision and he needs clarity. 
Notice the kind of clarity that this guy gives back. Number one, when he talks about these three beasts, he doesn't give clarity. He gives a summary. He gives a summary of the whole vision in basically two sentences. And he basically says this. He says, hey, these kingdoms are going to rise. There's four kingdoms. They're going to rise. They're going to overtake the world in various ways, but the people, uh, the kingdom of God is going to come, and it's an eternal kingdom, right? He gives this summary, but then Daniel is not happy with that, <laughs> and he's like, look, if, okay, at least tell me, tell me about this last beast, because that was probably for Daniel the most disturbing of it. So let's walk through this. It's a bit of a challenge. There's a lot there. Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 through 25 Thus he said, as for the four beasts, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall rise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and shall be put down and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times in the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. There is so much here. We don't have all the time to work through this, but let me try to hit some of these main points. Number one, when it comes, I think it's very interesting that this is a different kind of kingdom. It's different from the rest. Number one, it is far greater and far powerful. And we may be looking for the future of this type of kingdom to come that will physically dominate the whole entire world. And we're constantly kind of thinking, what, what kingdom is that? Has it already come or is it going to come? And if it does come, which kingdom is it? Maybe perhaps if we can figure that out, we can prepare and then we can respond rightly. Maybe we can take up arms. Maybe we can amass an army and fight against this. I don't think that's what, that was not the reason why God gave us this vision. So what is unclear? That, those things are unclear. What is clear? Let's look at this. Well, there's going to be this, this domination, Right? And there is, is going to be this particular king or this particular kind of ruler that's going to do what? Verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and he shall think to change the times and the law. So this is a type of person that isn't just tyrannical and wants to overpower and dominate everyone, but now it's laser-focused to the people of God and to God himself. He is directly opposed to God in his ways. Does that remind you of anyone? Maybe not a mere human, but maybe one the evil one that from the very beginning in the book of Genesis started to question the ways and the times and the laws of God. So yes, this may can't come out and may, may, may play out physically on this earth. Friends, this is already playing out now spiritually. And we see it manifesting itself various rays through various people, through various nations right now. Right now, 
There are those who are speaking against the Most High and those who are wearing down the saints of the Most High and wanting to change the times and the laws. Now, we may not see that clearly here. I think some ways we are. But if you think of countries like China, right? In China, we have this description of the, under, we, we call it the underground church in China. Why do we call it the underground church in China? Because they cannot freely worship God, right? There's consequences for following God in China today. Jobs are being lost, families are being lost, lives are being lost. You go to the Middle East, you think about Afghanistan and what's going on there. You go around to all these uh, Muslim countries that are hostile towards Christianity. This is going on today. They're speaking about, out against God. They are persecuting Christians, fellow believers, and they're trying to change the times and the laws. And even in our freedom in America today, we can see some of this going on in small ways. And there is, at least in a, in a spiritual way, in a large way, this spirit for desire to change the laws of God. So think about it this way, what the law of God is. It's God that speaks it, and it is true, it is reality. That's what God's truth and law is. And there are those around, and it's not just here, but it's throughout the world, that want to speak a different truth or make a different law to change reality. We are seeing that today. We hear it all the time. So that's the point. That's, um, there's so much there, and, but we got to keep moving. Um, so here's what I want us to understand. Yes, uh, there's these physical manifestations of these kingdoms and, the, and this last kingdom and this one king and, and all that. But also when we take a step back, especially in the New Testament, uh, it describes this in a spiritual sense. So let me point this out to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work where? In the sons of disobedience. So this kingdom and this king, I think it's also this picture of this spirit, this prince of the power of the air. And what does he want to do? He wants to rule. He wants to, he wants to uh, take down the ways of God and take down his people. And so I think this is what we're, seeing today. So this message might be kind of disturbing, right? This is kind of depressing. It's like, woe is me. It was for Daniel too, right? He saw this vision and he was anxious. He, he uh, probably couldn't sleep. At the end, uh, he actually changed his color, right? So this sickened him. This was very disturbing. And it probably should be disturbing for us as well. Because there's a lot of ways that we experience turmoil and chaos. But here's where I want us to find hope. And this is where I think God wanted Daniel to find hope. And it's in this next portion of this vision. So let's look at this. This vision, and I'm calling it the vi vision of vindication. 
I love that word, vindication. Verses 9 through 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousands, thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So this is one of the most graphic pictures of God that we see in the scriptures. You know, you think of Isaiah's vision, right? Where he goes up to heaven and he's in the courtroom. And most of it is describing the creatures and the people around him and what they are saying and what they're wearing and what they look like. Here, this is a direct picture of the Ancient of Days, the Lord of Lords. And how, does it, why, how is it described? Well... His um, clothing is white as snow. I think this is a picture of purity and holiness and righteousness, right? His hair, a head like pure wool, meaning that he's old, right? He's old, uh, this this is a picture of um, being old. And I think it means wisdom and discerning. He's wise. So we have a God who is just, and righteous. We have a God that is wise. And then what's the description? There's a lot of fire, a lot of flames. And I think this is a picture of God's judgment. He is a God who is righteous and holy and wise, and he's coming with judgment. And I love the picture at the end where it's a court scene. And there are thousands upon thousands of witnesses. And the Ancient of Days comes down, sits down, and opens the books of the law. You see, that is the standard. That is God's standard. That is the rule in which he is going to measure these beasts, these nations, and every single one of us. Judgment is coming. And these beasts have no chance. They have no chance. Their power, their might, does not compare to God's power and might and his judgment. And so we see here that it will not last. God sits in judgment over the beasts and what was wrong, what was unjust, will be corrected It will be fixed in the end. But here's the thing. It's not just that it will be balanced. It's not just that he's going to judge those nations. But if you continue on and read Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14, it continues on. And this is very powerful. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And we know who this son of man is. Daniel coins that phrase, son of man. But you know who uses it the most? Jesus, referring to himself. Jesus 
is this son of man. And when Jesus came in the flesh, when he started his ministry, he began with this gospel, this good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Get ready for it. You have been living among beasts this whole entire time. Now get ready because the kingdom is coming and it's an eternal kingdom and I am ushering it in. How does he do that? He lives a righteous life, a righteousness that we could not live. And then he goes to the cross, dying for the sins of the world. And on the third day, he rises again. The evil and sin that takes over this world, the evilness, the chaos he puts on his shoulders, he is sacrificed, he dies, and God the Father raises him from the dead. He is redeemed, and now he is sitting at the right hand of the Father of the throne. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. This is your hope. That you may know what is the hope which he has called you to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might. And he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, for above all rule and authority and a power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what has already taken place through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And guess what, friends? That image of him coming down as the Son of Man will still come. It started when he was in the flesh, but now we know that there is a second coming. He is going to come back and he's going to finish what he started. Amen? All right, so let's get to some quick application. I know we had to rush through all this and there's so many other questions, but I wanted us to really understand this because I think here is, it is again, Daniel was given this vision for a reason and I think it was for him to prepare him I think it was to prepare him for what was coming next. And that was this next trial that was unlike any other trial that he faced before. Because now he's standing and these people want to take him down. They want to kill him. And they made him make a decision. Do I follow the law of this king, this edict of the king, or do I follow the law of God? If I follow the law of God, I will die. It's my execution. Do I comply? Do I compromise? Or do I remain faithful to my God? He has remained faithful throughout this whole, all, this whole time. He goes and he continues to pray to God three times a day. And now there's an edict out there that says, you may not do that anymore. Does he comply or does he defy? I didn't mean to rhyme there, by the way. Just kind of came out. I think this vision prepared him for that. 
This vision came before that, right? He had a lot of time, many years to process this vision. And so where did he put his hope? And we talked about this last week. Where does he put his hope and his faith and his trust? It's not that God will get him out of every single one of these situations, because guess what? If he does, it doesn't matter. Daniel's going to die. He's dead. Throughout all this turmoil and all this chaos, guess what? In the end, even if we're saved, we're still going to die. Where do we put our hope? Where did Daniel put his hope? And we referred to this back, and I'm just going to share this in Hebrews, right? These men of faith that took their steps in faith. Why were they able to take these steps of faith? Why was Daniel able to kneel and pray before his God, knowing that it will lead to his death? It was because he did not have a hope in some physical home or comfort or peace here in this world. His hope was in this eternal kingdom with God and the son of man who will have dominion and power and authority. This eternal kingdom that he would be a child and civilian and citizen of this kingdom. That's where he put his hope. And so he was able to say, you know what? Death Death is nothing. These kingdoms that want to devour and divide and dominate, yes, they rise, but they fall, but there is an eternal kingdom, and I'm moving towards that kingdom. And that, that preparation for Daniel, Daniel wrote for Israel as well, who was in ex- exile, to prepare them as well, because they were going to go through it. And friends, today, we are also going through it. So we are facing, you know, we turn on the news and we see all these things taking place, international and even nationally. We're going through a pandemic and there is this overarching spirit of fear. What is going to happen? What's the next year going to hold? We've been going through it, friends, for a very long time now, a year and a half to two years. There is chaos and turmoil and questions There's divisiveness and anger. We have arguments over wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or taking a shot or not taking a shot. And we get revved up about this and we get angry and we're dividing over it. Knowing the end, knowing what's going on now, that it's always been going on now, living among beasts, but knowing the end result, how do we respond? Let's go back to a little statement. Where kings and kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the one who is over all. So what does it look like for us to be faithful? I think Daniel is a wonderful example of this. He's a wonderful example. Look at how he engages with those who have authority over him, even those who are tyrannical and dictators. How does he engage with them? You know, here's something interesting. With Darius um, and, and these men that are intimidated by Daniel and want him dead, they're trying to figure out a way for, for Darius to kill Daniel, right? Right? He's like, this is how we can do it. We're going to have Darius do it. But here's the problem. Darius loves Daniel. Why does Darius love Daniel, this, you know, this king, this overlord? Why does he love Daniel so much? 
And why can't they figure out a way to kill him? The passage says it's because he's faithful. And it's not referring to faithful to God. He was faithful to the king. Oof. You know, in American country where we have freedoms and, and, and this, this nation was built on rebellion, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. Daniel remains faithful both to the king, priority, right? The king of kings and lord of lords, his God. But he also finds ways to be honoring and faithful to those in authority in this present time or in his present time. How can we do the same? Here's something that I just keeps smacking me across the side of the head when it comes to uh, Daniel and the lion's den, right? Because here is God's law versus man's law. And what is Daniel going to do? He has to defy the king and his law. He remains faithful. He's got to, it's no choice. Can't argue around it. He's going to pursue faithfulness to the Lord and it's going to lead to his death. What does he do? He doesn't resist. What the consequences come, come, right? But here's what's crazy about this is when he comes out of the, the den and the king says, Daniel, did your God deliver you? He said, yes, my God delivered, you, delivered me and here's why. Here's why, king, he delivered me because I am blameless before him and blameless before you. That is an audacious statement. That, that one just strikes me. I can see the I was blameless before God, but to make that statement and I was also be blameless before you, meaning this, my defiance of your edict was not meant to rebel against you or defy you or to overpower you or to harm you. I must stay true to my king and I will honor you as well. As believers, as Christians today, who are to remain faithful to our king, how can we be like that as well? So let me encourage you in this way, and I know we're going a little long, but this is kind of important because I feel like we're in it today, aren't we? This applies to us today. We just, we just reflected upon the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We have nations rising up. We have enemies, and we have people that want to kill and destroy. We have people that are that are filled with hatred and animosity towards other people and Christianity and all sorts of things. We are in it today. How do we respond? Even in our country that, yes, has been built up with Christian principles, but this is not necessarily a Christian nation that is being led by Christians with Christian principles. So how do we respond? And here's my temptation. Friends, this is, this is in me. I want to rise up and rebel. I get angry. I want to resist. I want to push back. I want to complain. And I want others to agree with me. <laughs> how does Daniel respond? He responds in a way or he acts in a way where he wants to be faithful to God 
but also be faithful and honoring to those who are authority over him. Oh, that hurts. You know what, through these past several weeks, what we see on the news, or for myself, what I see on the news, I, I cringe. And it hurts, and it's painful, and it's sad, because people are dying, people are suffering. And I want to shake my fist and wring somebody's neck or whatever, like in my mind, just, what were you thinking? I think there's another way. And I think it first calls for us to be humble and to remember that these nations will rise and fall, but we serve a king who rules over them all, and our hope is there. So when it comes to trying to think of specific examples that I was thinking in my own, my own heart. But it's how to be honorable. Oh, here's the wonderful thing. Here's the blessing, right? Because we too have freedoms. In some sense, America is like that eagle that has been plucked and has been humanized in some ways, where God has blessed us and we have these freedoms. We get the chance to disagree we can actually speak our minds and find lawful ways to resist and disagree. That is a blessing from God. We should be thankful for that. So I'm not saying we just kind of roll over and be doormats, not do anything. We have this freedom, and I think we are able to express those freedoms, but it's the attitude and the heart in which we express those freedoms. So yes, we can speak out and we can do these various things that we are allowed to do to, to disagree and to push back and say, this is not the right way, but this is, this is the way. But are we doing it out of love and care and honor? Or are we doing it out of anger and bitterness and spite? See, the change needs to start in us. And the picture is remaining faithful to God and how we can do that, but also be honoring and faithful to those who are over us. That is our challenge. That's always been the challenge, and it'll continue to be the challenge. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you we can gather. Lord, there is so much here. There's so much we didn't get into but Father, this main idea of this call to remain faithful, it so applies for us today. I think Daniel is a wonderful example of this. I think Jesus, Lord Jesus, his example of how he walked closely with you and followed your will, even in spite of those who hated him, who rejected him, who persecuted him, who murdered him. He walked that path for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and was raised up to sit at the right hand of your throne. Oh, Father, we know the path. We know what it looks like to be faithful and to follow Jesus Christ, that we too, in the end, will defeat death and be raised up with Christ. Lord, that is our hope. That is where we put our trust. May we cling to that this week, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.